chapter 46. I want to read verses 9 through 10. We're looking forward. The, the other week, the church uh, decided they're sending me to Mongolia. Not, not for good. But we were invited by Dr. Charles Keene, First Bible International. They're taking a trip, and they invited a few pastors to go along over there to uh, work, to view and then try and be a help and blessing of folks that are involved in printing the Bible in Mongolia. And uh, it's an exciting thing what's going on there. There's a several reasons that appealed to me. One is, um, is just the idea of getting into a new open country. For years, Mongolia was closed to the gospel, and now it's open. And in fact... Uh, we were saying the uh, president of Mongolia, it's now a democracy, believe it or not, and the president of Mongolia uh, stated to a number of people, but approached Dr. Keene about, he said, he said, I understand in studying the histories of democracy that a democracy cannot succeed if the people do not have a moral and religious basis. And therefore, they are printing Bibles. The government is, is getting the Bibles, allowing First Bible International to put a Bible in the hand of every child in the public schools of Mongolia. Isn't that an amazing thing? In their own language. And it's coming from the top down. And uh, they're doing something there that you cannot do in Garrett County in the United States of America. They, they can put Bibles in their hands. And so, to me, that's exciting to see that and get involved in that somehow. The other reason I'm excited about going is um, there's a fellow working there that has a great burden for the country of Kazakhstan. And he's been studying it. He has contacts there. And uh, he's a real burden. And we're going to be able to spend several days with this fella and talking to him. Of course, we've been praying as a church for this country. For the most part, it's an unreached uh, uh, country. There are very few scriptures. I think there's one or two people groups within the, uh, within the country that have any portion of the scriptures in their language and for the most part, they have no Bible in their language, no churches, and some, uh, I think it's like, like 12 or 14 million people. And so we're going to be able to spend a few days with this fellow there and um, uh, get to know a little bit more about the country, maybe make some contacts, people in the country we can uh, communicate with and see about open doors and things we can do to help get the gospel over there. So it's exciting. I very much cover your prayers in the coming weeks. We're leaving February 4th, getting back, I believe, what is it, Kathy, the 12th, something like that, somewhere around there. So we very much appreciate your prayers for that. And uh, we were going to fly and spend the night in Beijing, China. Can you imagine that? But that fell through. We're going to be going through Korea instead. So we very much appreciate your prayers. And getting the luggage and everything, I heard about the one fella. Uh, he came up to the airport, and he was at the counter there getting his tickets and checking his luggage in. And hanging over the luggage where he set it up on the, the thing there where they put it in the back, hanging over it was a mistletoe hanging there over the holidays. And the guy thought, what in the world? Why do you have a mistletoe hanging over the luggage? He said, that's so you can kiss your luggage goodbye. <laughs> so there's no telling where it'll end up. Isaiah chapter 46. Let me just read verses 9 and 10. If you would, follow along. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am the Lord. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. The end from the beginning. Let's pray and ask the Lord to speak to our hearts this morning. Father, thank you for the word of God. I thank you for the good music. 
Lord, our, our hearts have been stirred. We thank you for the, the people of God who love the Lord, love one another. What a joy it is to be among your people, Lord, and just the spirit of, of uh, happiness and uh, rejoicing in the Lord. Bless this hour now. I pray as we begin our first Sunday in the new year that our hearts would be set, our minds would be fixed on the Lord, and this would be a year perhaps of your coming, Lord, and we would be prepared, we would be ready, we would be in place doing what needs to be done when that trumpet sounds and the angel shouts. I pray you'd use this this morning to help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I like Isaiah. Isaiah's a good guy. Of course, he's the human, uh, I like to say it this way, he is the penman of the book of Isaiah. God is the author, and Isaiah penned it. There's several things about Isaiah I like. I like his name. Isaiah's name means the salvation of Jehovah. Can you imagine that? What a great name. Several things about him, as I, as I said, I appreciate. Uh, one thing about Isaiah I appreciate is he was a man of humility. He is referred to in the Bible as a servant of God. You know, God does not use big shots. You understand that. God uses servants. God's greatest title, if God wants to honor a person. You know, man has different titles. Over in England, if they're going to honor somebody, what do they do? They take a sword, chop them on the head, or touch them in the head, and uh, what? They knight them. Boy, they want to honor this person. So they'll knight them, and from that point, they'll be called Sir So-and-so. That's the way they want to honor a person. In the United States, of course, our government has different medals to honor military men and women. Uh, if you want to honor somebody in a particular field, they'll give them an honorary doctorate and to honor them. But you know what God does when he, God wants to honor a man? God gives them the title of servant. Servant. God, uh, God exalts those who humble themselves. If we exalt ourselves, the Bible says in Luke, we'll be abased. But he that humbleth himself, the Lord will exalt him. Isaiah was a humble man. God referred to him as a servant, the greatest title. The attitude of being a servant of God is, a, is an attitude that God honors the most. I believe it's the greatest attitude a person can have. I am a servant of God. Why don't we determine in the year 2008 that we are going to maintain in our hearts and minds an attitude that I am a servant of the living God. I'm his servant. I am here to serve God. I am here to please God. I am here to be used of God. Uh, I, I like what the one preacher said. He said, you know, I pray and pray and pray that God will use me. God will use me. God will use me. Then the end of the week, I feel like I'm being used. You know, everybody's just coming. But you know, that's the way it's going to be if we want to be a servant of God. Isaiah was a humble man. Another thing about Isaiah I like, he was a man who endured. If you study carefully the book of Isaiah and the life of Isaiah, you find that he had a ministry that lasted nearly 60 years. Boy, what a ministry. Can you imagine being involved in a ministry for nearly 60 years? This past week, I believe it was Monday, I was driving up to visit my father. I uh, spent New Year's with my father. My dad and I were out partying on New Year's Eve. I tell you, it was wild and crazy. We got a, a steak and overcooked lobster tail, and uh, it was a wild time. But I was driving up there to visit with my dad, and I got a phone call from Brother Charles Holmshire. He's a founder and director of Neighborhood Bible Time. Hey, so we were talking a little bit, and um, 
Uh, I got to think about it after we hung up. I got to think about it. Man, he's been in that thing, I believe, 55 years. Just plugging away, reaching boys and girls for Jesus Christ. Just plugging away, just plugging away. Hasn't changed his doctrinal position. Hasn't changed his standards. Hasn't changed his convictions. Just stayed right the same, 55 years. God, give us some Christians who endure. Isaiah was that way 60 years. And just plugging away. He never, in 60 years, he just stayed right at it. So many times, people come and go. You know what's sad? I don't know that this is true. Uh, I, I haven't experienced it, but they say that the average life, the average ministry of an independent Baptist pastor in your average local independent Baptist church is about a year and a half to two years. Isn't that tragic? No, I'm not seeing that. My attitude is this. For my lifetime, I see one woman and one church. That's the way I'm approaching it. And so, uh, uh, but that's the way Isaiah was. He just stayed right at it. So many today come and go. So many only last for a season. Hey, why don't we determine in the year 2008, I'm just going to stick with what God has called me to do. I'm just going to stay at it. I'm going to give it another year. I'm just going to plug away. Isaiah was a man who was humble. He was a man who endured. Also, Isaiah was a man without fear. You read again the study of the life of Isaiah. You find that he was the friend of kings. And he would stand before royalty and some of the most powerful people of his day. And he would preach with authority. He would preach with power. And not one time did Isaiah compromise his testimony. Not one time did he alter his message. He preached God's word as God gave it, regardless of who was in the audience. God give us some preachers today that will not alter or water down or, or compromise the Word of God, but just preach it as God has given us. And also Isaiah, he was also a man who was genuine. I mean, he practiced what he preached. Um, it wasn't just a show. What he preached on Sundays, or Sabbath, I guess, would be his situation, he lived throughout the week. He lived his life genuinely, sincerely, according to the Word of God. He even dressed the way the Bible says, every factor of it. He wanted his life to be in line with the Word of God. Then the fifth thing about Isaiah that I appreciate so much, Isaiah was a man who was martyred. Martyred. We don't hear much about that in our day and age, at least in our society. Thank God for the United States of America. We are free to worship God as our conscience dictates. We are free to worship God the way we understand the Bible teaches we should. And we're not afraid of martyrdom. We're not afraid of attack or assault. Oh, we get made fun of a little bit. Huh? We get teased. We may get harassed. You know, it might be some vandalism now and again to the church. We've had at the house there, we had a number of times people came by and shot our house with um, um, uh, paintball guns and, and splattered the front there. I think it was my wife. She was mad at me that day. But um, uh, we've had that. There's a couple occasions where they tried to throw beer bottles through the front window and, and uh, different things like that. But we don't know what it means to be martyred. I've never felt like my life was threatened because of my testimony for the Lord or because of uh, the ministry God's given me. But Isaiah was martyred. Isaiah, because of his stand for grace. You know who killed Isaiah? Manasseh, King Manasseh, his son-in-law, married his daughter. And uh, uh, King Manasseh killed Isaiah. Do you know how he killed Isaiah? Put him in an 
hollow log and sawed him in half. Our Hebrews chapter 11, I believe it's verse 37, makes reference to the fact that uh, he was sawn asunder, put him in a log, and sawed him in half because of his testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. I was talking to my wife last night. I asked her, I asked her, I said, do you think that your husband would be willing to die for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? She goes, oh yeah. She says, I, I, I think you would. Um, you know, I hesitate to say that. I, I, I put it this way. I would like to think that I would be willing to die for the gospel. You know, it's a scary thing. You get in that situation. Would I? Would I have the courage? Would I have the conviction to stand there? I'd like to think I would. Isaiah did. He died for his faith in God. You know, God's not so much concerned about people today willing to die for him. He's just looking for some people who are willing to live for him. Oh, yeah, I died for Christ. Well, I think he's more concerned that we live for him. But Isaiah was a great man. Conviction, endurance, courage. Died for the cause of Christ. Now we get to chapter 46, and he makes some interesting statements. And these caught my attention as we're looking at the year 2008, a new year. I like new things. I said this last week. I like getting a new car. I'm so happy for Matt and Amy, a new car given to him. Isn't that something? I'm going to make application for his job and try and get a job there. They give free cars out. I like getting new cars. I like getting new suits. I thought about wearing my new suit last week, again this week. I like new years. We can start out anew. And I read here in Isaiah 46 where he says this, Remember the former things of old. That's a good thing to do. Reminisce what God has done for us. For I am God and there's none else. I am God and there is none like me. Look at this. Declaring the end from the beginning. And I like this next phrase. And from ancient times, the things that are not yet done. What's he saying here? He's saying, God's saying, I have already declared the things that shall be. I already have in place the things that are going to happen in the future. The things not yet done. You know what that is? You know what he's talking about? Prophecy. Prophecy. Future events. Let me share a few thoughts. I encourage you to jot these down. Write this down. Number one, our God is unique. Our God is unique. Again, look at verse 9. I know we've read it a number of times, but let's look at it one more time. Remember former things of old... For I am God, look at this, next phrase, and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. Our God is unique. Now, I did not say that our God is rare. If you have something that's rare, it's kind of unusual, but it's not the only one, right? It could be in many things. Of You look at an antique show, you know, and they say, well, this thing is very rare. There's only a few of them. God is not un- unusual. God is not rare. God is unique. The word unique means one and only one. There are no others. Our God is unique. There is no other God but Jehovah, the only true and living God. That's all there is. There are no other gods. These folks, these New Age people, and a lot of the religious leaders of our land, they like to get on the television, get on the radio, get in the news, 
And they'll say, well, you know, we all worship their, our God in our own way, and the Hindus have their God, and you have the God. No, 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 there's one God. There's none else. Turn with me. Actually, you don't have to turn, I don't believe. But look at chapter 45 of Isaiah. I took, I got verses underlined and notes in my Bible, but I want to try and highlight something that I've already underlined. I thought, what do I do? So I got a different color pen. And so now I got it underlined in, in black, but also in red. Notice chapter 45. Look with me, if you would, and underscore this in one way or another in your Bible. Verse 5. Isaiah 45 and verse 5. I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is no God beside me. Come down, if you would, to verse... Uh, uh, let me read verse 6. Let me f- finish reading here. I guided thee, through, though thou hast not known me, that, thou, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. Come down to verse number 18. For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God Himself that formed the earth and made it. By the way, evolution is a lie. God did create the heavens. God did create the earth. He hath established it. He created it not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. Look at this last phrase. I am the Lord and there is none else. Come down to verse 21. Tell me, tell ye, and bring them near ye. Let let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from ancient time? Who hath told it from, uh, from that time? Have not I, the Lord, and there is no God else beside me, a just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. Verse 22, look unto me, and be ye saved, all ye ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. God is the only God there is. And by the way, he has always been God, and he always will be God. Keep your place here, if you would. I want you to turn another passage of Scripture, Psalms chapter 90. Psalms chapter 90. I hope you'll take note of this passage. In fact, the verses I just gave you, you ought to make mental note of and keep them handy. I'll explain in just a moment. Turn to Psalms chapter 90. I'll read verse 1, but the last part of verse 2 is what I'm wanting to get to. Psalms 90, notice with me. Lord, Thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever Thou hast formed the earth and the world, even, look at this, even from everlasting to everlasting, Thou art God. What is this verse saying? This verse is saying that God always has been God and God always will be God. From everlasting past, thou art God. From everlasting future, thou art God. God is the only God and He has always been God and He always will be God. He said, Brother Lim, why do you make such a big deal about that? Oh, that's pretty obvious to us. That's pretty evident to all of us. I guarantee you, the vast majority of us here this morning, sometime in the year 2008, you're going to have a couple folks come by and knock on your door. And they're going to have their little book in their hand. And they're going to talk to you about the King James Bible. And they're representing the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The Mormons. He said, Brother, why do you always pick on the Mormons? Because they're always knocking on our doors. They're spreading false doctrine. And the Mormons teach that God, Jehovah, 
the God that you and I are referring to, the God of the Bible, they teach, and their Book of Mormon teaches, Joseph Smith came up with this, that the Jehovah was at one time, in years, multitude of years gone by, he was a man just like you and I. That he lived on a planet very similar to Earth. And he lived a life as an ideal, what we would call an ideal Mormon. And because of his devotion to his God, he, uh, through the steps, he became a God himself. And he is now Jehovah God, and he has uh, given birth, literally, to Adam and Eve. And we are his offspring. And all of mankind now, we can someday, if we would be baptized in the Mormon church and, and to live by the Mormon teachings, you and I could someday be a God. Of course, not you ladies, just the men. You ladies, through all eternity, you would bear children for your God husband and uh, throughout eternity. Oh, bliss and joy. We had a couple fellows, some of you remember, just a month or so ago, sat in the back here. I would not have made an issue about it, but they wore their little emblems, and they came representing the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. If they'd have come just as individuals, uh, without, uh, you know, just coming in to try and hear from the Lord, or just come and be a part of it, that'd have been fine. If they came representing the church, then it becomes an issue. And so I confronted them at the door in the back, and an hour and a half later, but one of the things they kept saying, they said, why do you have such a problem with us? I said, the problem is the, your fundamental concept of who God is and what God is. I said, you're fundamentally wrong. And I said, you believe that God was once a man and that now he has attained godhood. I said, that's unscriptural. They said, no, it isn't. I said, yes, it is. And I took them to Psalms chapter 90. And you can do this when they come by your door. I don't recommend you get in an argument with them. I, don't, I certainly don't recommend you get in a fist fight with them. But I do believe you should confront them about their error and share the gospel with them. And I took them to Psalms 90 and I read this to them. I said, from, the Bible says, from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. I said, what does that mean? That means from everlasting past he was God, from everlasting future he was God. God never was a man. God always was God. He always will be God. I said, you and I will never be a God. And they said, well, that verse means this. From everlasting, everlasting, he has been our God. Doesn't mean he was always God, but for us, in our lifetime, he has always been God. I said, that may be what you think it means, but that's not what it says. It says, from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. I said, the Bible says there are no gods beside me. I showed them the verses in Isaiah. And they said, that means for us, there are no gods beside him. But for other millions of people throughout the universe, there's many, many hundreds and thousands of other gods with their own planets and their own populations to worship them. I said, that may be what Joseph Ch Smith taught you, but that's not what the Bible says. You see, there is all kinds of ideas out there. And if we do not understand who and what the true God is, we will be messed up in every other area. There is one God. He always has been God. He always will be God. I tell you, studying God is a fascinating study. Just as incomprehensible, uh, incomprehensibility of our God. 
just amazing. I was driving back from my dad's after that wild New Year's Eve party we had. And I was driving back Wednesday, and I just got my mind on the Lord, and I was thinking just how real he is and what God is. Our God's unique God. There are no other gods like him. Uh, There are no other gods. And uh, he always has been a God. Write this down, number two. We said, number one, our God is unique. Number two, God has a plan. God has a plan. Look back at Isaiah chapter 46. Notice verse number 10 with me. Declaring the end, talking about our God, uh, there is none else. I am God, there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning. God says, I've already got it declared. Oh, how it all is going to end up, how it started, how it's all going to end up. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times. And this is what he's saying. I'm, I'm rewording it here a little bit, trying to explain it. And from ancient times declaring the things that are not yet done. He says, I have declared the end from the beginning. I've declared the ancient times uh, the things that are not yet done. He's saying, I've got this thing all planned out. I've got this all laid out. There is actually a plan and a purpose behind all events of history. I like to study history. I think it's fascinating. And if you take a look at history and you look at it from the mind of God, from the eye of God, you can see His hand through all of it. I like what my one professor, my first year of Bible college said. He said, we had an intro to Western Civ, I think it was. He said, all of history is his story. God has it all laid out. There's a plan and a purpose. Oh, the war in Iraq. Oh, Iran, a nuclear bomb. Oh, Pakistan in chaos. Oh, what's going to happen? I'm here to tell you, God's in control. He's got a plan. He's working all these things. He's pulling all these strings, and it's all coming together. Listen, we don't, as how many folks here, you're saved, you know it. Say amen. Amen. Listen, we don't have to look at 2008 with fear and trembling. We look at 2008 and all the stuff going on. We look at it and say, thank God, there's a God in heaven, and He's got a plan. He's got a plan. Nothing, none of this surprises God. Is there a design? Is there a plan and a purpose to the course of history? Yes, absolutely. I said before, evolution is a lie. I'll say it again. Evolution is a lie. It's an impossibility. Evolution is more than just an explanation or a theory of how man came about of being. It is actually a philosophy of life. And evolutionary thinking says this, there is no plan, there is no purpose, there is no design. It is chance, it is chaos, it is happenstance. We just happen to be here because a few things happen to be at the right place, at the right time, and it just happened to evolve this way. Don't you look for any purpose, don't you look for any plan in life, don't you look for any meaning behind the events of history, don't you look for any design in what you see and what takes place. It is all just a chance, just history. Carl Sagan said, we are alone. Carl Sagan's wrong. And the evolutionists are wrong. 
It is not just, we are not just the product of a series of accidents and chaotic uh, circumstances and just uh, a chaos happening to produce life and all this. No, no, no. We have a God and that God has a plan behind every event that takes place. He has a purpose for every incident we face. God has a plan. Thank God for it. I'm not surprised you hear of suicidal young people when they're taught they're nothing more than an accident, an advanced beast. No wonder drug abuse and fornication is so rampant among our society when all we are is nothing more than some type of evolved animal with no purpose in life, with no meaning to what's happening to us, nothing to look forward to, just empty nothingness. No wonder our society is in chaos. No wonder our lives seem to have no purpose. But I'm telling you here, the fact is there is a God and He has a plan for your life and for my life. He has a plan for this world. He has a plan for all of humanity. He says, I've declared the end from the beginning. The things that not, are not yet I've declared before God ever created the heavens and the earth. He had a working plan in place. I think it's interesting if you read Genesis chapter 6 when Eve eats of the forbidden fruit and Adam is there with her and Adam bites of that forbidden fruit, disobeyed God, they fell into sin, they ran about. It's interesting what God doesn't say. God doesn't say, uh-oh, what do I do now? I had the Garden of Eden. I had a utopia set up for mankind. It was perfect. Live endlessly. Death and sin were not part of the reason I created man. Now what do I do? Oh no, God knew for eternity past what He was going to do. He had a working plan in place. I like the book of Isaiah. I like the man of Isaiah. I like the book of Isaiah. It's one of my favorite books. Actually, whatever book I happen to be reading at that time ends up being my favorite book at that time. But Isaiah deals with a number of things, but it primarily deals with two themes of prophecy. Two prophetic themes. One of the prophetic themes of the book Isaiah is the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't read Isaiah 53 and not see Jesus dying on a cross. And the, prophetic, the, the first prophetic theme of the book of Isaiah is pointing to the coming Savior. A child is given, the government shall be upon his shoulder, the everlasting Father. And it points to the coming, the first coming of Jesus Christ. But Isaiah has a secondary theme. And that secondary theme points to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, there are more prophetic passages of Scripture in the Old Testament referring to the second coming of Jesus Christ than there are to the first coming. And what does this mean? It means that God has a plan. God has the course of mankind's history all laid out. And God is in control and He'll bring that about to be. We don't have to be fearful. We don't have to wring our hands. I did a funeral a number of years ago, and I've made reference to this over the years, but I, made, I did a funeral, and the fellow that died, I believe it was his sister, she was in her mid-twenties, probably married, had a couple children, and she came up to me, tears streaming down her cheek, just wringing her hands like this. I mean, literally, just going like this. She says, Pastor Leatherman, I knew her from before we had visited with her, and she was just wringing her hands. She goes, Pastor Leatherman, this was just shortly after September 11th, a year or two after that. She was just wringing her hands. Pastor Leatherman, I'm so scared. I'm so scared. 
I said, what are you scared of? What's, what are you afraid of? What's going to happen? Our country and the world and everything. I'm so scared. I tell you, there's no Christian in the world needs to live that way. Shared the gospel with her. She professed to know Christ as Savior. But she was scared. I'm so scared. I'm so scared. I tell you what, I'm so glad we have a God and that God has a plan. Look at verse 9. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is none else. I am the God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done. Saying my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. What a profound truth that the all-powerful, eternal, self-existing, omniscient God has already declared the end from the beginning. God knows how this thing's going to... You know, another one of my favorite books, it's the book of Revelation. Did you ever read a book? I used to read years ago, I haven't read them for years, I used to read Louis L'Amour books. Anybody ever read Louis L'Amour books, Western? I loved them. My dad has every book Louis L'Amour ever wrote. I used to read them. I'd get about halfway through. When I was in Bible college. I'd read them in my spare time. And um, I would read them. And I'd get about halfway through. And I'd realize I was going to run out of time. I wasn't going to get it done. You know what I'd do? I'd flip to the end. Find out who did it. You know? Uh, read the last chapter. Oh, yeah. That's pretty good. You can do that in the Bible. Oh, man. Iran. Pakistan. Iraq. Nuclear bombs. Terrorists. Oh, read Revelation. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess, Jesus Lord. New heaven, new earth, everything's going to be all right. What a profound truth that we serve, we serve, we know a God who has all of this in line, He has it all planned out, and He is the one in charge. Isn't that good to know? Let me give you a third thought. Jot this down real quick. We said, number one, God is unique. Number two, that God has a plan. Number three, God has given us a book. God has given us a book. Did you know that God wrote a book? He only ever wrote one book. But God wrote a book. It's called the Bible. The only book God ever gave us. The only book written by God. And the tragedy is, so few people anymore turn to the Word of God anymore. Can I say something that's sad? So few churches go by the Word of God anymore. they got their ideas, their theories, their philosophies, their approaches, their answers. They lean on their own understanding. And they're getting farther and farther and farther from the Word of God. No wonder we see the world coming in like a flood. Even in our good, fundamental Bible-preaching churches, the world coming as we get farther and farther and farther from the Word of God. You know what's sad? I hate to say this. I'm not trying to make any judgment on your home. I have no idea. But I'm afraid so many homes are getting farther and farther from the Word of God. God's Word has less and less influence in our marriages, in our homes, our children, as we get farther and farther away from it. You know, I believe there was a day when, I think it's safe to say, if not a majority, almost a majority of the homes in the United States of America read the Bible in the home. It was something you did. You read back of the statements of our former presidents in the early years of this nation's history. Every one of the presidents read their Bibles, spoke of it, quoted Scripture, made decisions referring to the Word of God. 
But yet we live in a day we're getting farther and farther and farther from the Word of God. Hey, why don't we determine in the year 2000 several things? One, I'm asking you to do this. We determine in the year 2008 that you're going to read your Bible personally every single day. I'm going to spend some time every day reading the Bible. It doesn't have to be five, six, eight, ten chapters, but I'm going to read some of God's Word in a systematic way every day in the year 2008. I'm telling you, it will change your life. Young and old. I'm not just talking about senior citizens. I'm talking about teenagers. Read your Bible every day. Let me challenge you this. In the year 2008, why don't you determine that we're going to read our Bibles as a family at family altar time every single day. Every home should have a family altar time. Amen. Every home ought to have a time. Mom and dad, the kids gather around, read some scripture, and at very minimum, read some scripture and spend some time in prayer. Every home ought to do that. Oh, preacher, our marriages, oh, our kids. Oh. Let me ask you a question. Do you read your Bible together as a family every day? Well, you know, it's busy. Well, you know, you know how it is. No, I don't know how it is. Tell me. What's more important than your family? What's more important than God's word influencing your home? It's not going to make your home perfect. There's not a perfect home here. But it will have a powerful, powerful influence. God. There's only one God. He always has been God. He always will be God. That God has a plan for all of history, for all mankind, for your life and my life. He has a plan. He's given us a book. We ought to read that book. We ought to study it. Often... There's a deliberate rejection of God's Word. A number of years ago, there was a lady. I can't remember if she came to church and made a profession of faith or if some of our folks visited her home and made a profession of faith. But whichever it was, she came to church for a brief period of time. She did not have a Bible. We got a Bible for her. We have cases of them. And we gave her a Bible. We said, here you go. Write your name in this. This is your Bible. Bring it to church with you. You read it. This will help you. This is God's Word. She took it, thanked us for it. I don't remember what the series of events were, whether she missed a Sunday or so, but a couple of our ladies visited her. She just lived here in Mountain Lake Park. A couple of our ladies visited her, and at the door, if I have the story correct, at the door she met them, and she says, here, you can have the Bible back. They said, what do you mean? She goes, I don't want it. You can have it back. A deliberate rejection of the Word of God. I don't want that. You can have it back. That's shocking for you and I, but I'll tell you, it's common in our society. Is that not what our society is doing? Kicking the Ten Commandments out of the courthouses? Rejecting the Bible from our schools? Tell you what, day's coming. We're going to have, uh, it'd be better to raise a kid in Mongolia than in Philadelphia. Get more Bible in the education. So God has get, he's got a plan. He's given us a book. Listen. The major theme, of course, the, the Bible, you'll never understand the Bible if you don't know Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the theme of this book. But a major aspect of the Bible concerning Jesus Christ deals with his second coming. When Jesus Christ is going to come back again, he's going to deal with the nations of the earth. 
He's going to set up his 1,000-year reign. At the end of that time, he'll judge the lost, and this earth will be burned up along the heavens, and a new heaven, a new earth. Now, we talk about that so tritely, but those are huge events. Those are unimaginable events. Jesus Christ splitting the eastern sky, defeating the armies of the world. I don't know about you, but I saw some of this military uh, actions in Iraq and I just stood in amazement. Can you imagine a day when Jesus Christ, every eye shall see him and he'll, he'll destroy the nations in the world with just a word from his mouth. The events that this Bible says are going to take place in the coming future are unbelievable. But they're true. They're true. And we cannot understand God's word if we do not know Jesus Christ and if we do not see the plan that he has laid out the coming future. And by the way, the second coming of Jesus Christ is not just an event where Jesus shows up all of a sudden, judges the lost, sends the saved into heaven, resurrects, and just one time. No, no, there's a series of events. There's a process that takes place with the rapture, the tribulation, the second coming, the judgment of the nations, the millennial reign, the loosing of Satan, the battle of Gog and Magog, the, judge, the great white throne judgment, then a new heaven, new earth. He has it all laid out. The church I grew up in as a young child, they would teach. My father and I spoke of this, not recently, but in years gone by we spoke of this. And they would teach that just someday Jesus comes back, it's just a general resurrection, saved go to heaven, lost go to hell, and it's all taken care of. But that's not the way the Bible teaches it. There's a plan, a process that takes place. And that book won't make sense until we see that and understand that. So, God's revealed His plan in His book. The future of mankind is clearly laid out in Scripture's. The events of the second coming are clearly laid out in the Bible. We hear a lot of talk about global warming. How many people ever heard something about global warming? Every day, global warming, global warming, global warming. Brother, you read this book, there's coming a day of global warming, all right. The elements will melt with fervent heat, the Bible says. Listen, I'm not worried about global warming not worried about nuclear bombs. I know that there's a God in heaven. That God has a plan, and he's given us a book that tells us what that plan is. Let me give you a last thought. Jot this down, would you? Number one, our God is unique. Two, God has a plan. Three, God has given us a book. Number four, we have hope. We have hope. Look with me, would it? Verse number 11. Calling a ravenous bird from the east, the man that executeth my counsel from a far country. Now look at this last phrase. Yea, I have spoken it. I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will do it. We have hope. God says this is the way it's going to be. This is how it's going to all pan out. I've spoken that. It will be that way. We can be sure of that. I think there's re three responses to what the Bible says about the future for you and I. Maybe 2008. I wonder how many people gave thought to this since the new year. That 2008 may be the year of the rapture of the church. Has anybody given thought to that? I've thought of it a number of times. This may be it. 
This may be the year. Next year at this time, we may be in the first year of the tribulation period. We may be in the presence of God. Those of us who know Christ as Savior. This could be it, folks. God's laid out the future. Now, there's three responses. One, we can just ignore what God says about what the future holds. Just say, I don't care about that. I'm not interested. Yeah, it's... Yeah, the old lady, she worries about that. Wait a minute. God says there's coming judgment. God says the worst seven years, this world is going to see seven years of the worst tribulation that it has ever seen. God says that's going to happen in the future. God says He's coming back. He's going to execute a judgment upon the earth. And for a person to ignore that, For a person just to say, well, I'm not interested in what the future holds. I just don't care what tomorrow brings. I just don't care what God says is going to happen. That person is a fool in my book. How foolish. Driving down a highway at a high rate of speed. Somebody standing along the side with a a huge sign. Stop! Bridge out! Danger! I don't care what the future holds on this road. I'm just plowing on the way. Hammer, uh, what's it say? Something town and hammer down. How's it go? Put the hammer down. Danger! Road out! Got the hammer down. I'd say that person's a fool, huh? Wait a minute, stay, Whoa! So I can respond to what the true God has said in his book is going to happen. I can respond to that by ignoring it. Don't care. I'll just text my little message while the preacher is preaching the Bible. I don't care about that. I sleep. Or we can, first of all, ignore it. The other response is we can be scared to death. Now, I'll be honest with you, if I was an unsaved person and I saw what the Bible, the future held for a lost person, I'd be scared to death. So I don't believe in scaring people to the Savior. Oh, that's interesting. The Bible says Noah was moved with fear and built the ark. What if, Noah, what if God had said, I'm going to flood the whole earth. No, I'm going to destroy everybody. You build an ark. Ah, floods don't scare me. He wouldn't have made it very far, would he? I tell you what, if you're here this morning and you're not genuinely saved, you ought to be scared. Living a life without Christ, facing the future without the Lord Jesus Christ, out of the will of God, not part of the family of God, a child of the devil, and going in another day, going into another year, you ought to be scared. So one, we can ignore it. Two, we can be scared to death. If you're unsaved, you should be. That fear ought to drive you to Christ. By the way, if you're saved, you ought not to fear it. There's no fear for a child of God. You say, Brother Leatherman, I might be dead this year. You know, there were folks with us last year this time. They're in heaven right now. I thought of Miss Ruby. I don't know not to fear the child of God. Paul said, I have a desire to depart and be with Christ. The third response. Number one, we can ignore it. Two, we can be scared to death of it. Or three, we can face the future with hope. 
with hope. I know the Lord. I'm His child. I'm in His hands. I'm in His will. And I know that God is at all plan. We can, we can face the future that way. Let me ask you a question. Number one, are you saved? Have you genuinely trusted Christ as Savior? And if you have, is your life in line with the Word of God? Are you in tune with the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you walking with the Lord? If so, we can be excited about the future. We can be excited about this coming year. What does it hold? Tell you what, I just... Can you imagine? Have you ever tried to imagine what it's going to be like? What the rapture is going to be like? How many people here like to drive fast in your car? If you like to join, my son took me out. A buddy has got a Mustang, something, five million horsepower, something. I don't know what it is. He says, take it for a ride, Dad. I said, all right. Brother. I said, if this was my car, I'd have to open up a speeding ticket fund. Imagine what it's going to be like when we get raptured. Going up through space. Some of us are a little more aerodynamically prepared for that. <laughs> when I worked at the meatpacking plant, I'm with this. When I worked at the meatpacking plant, I just got saved. And I mean a bunch of thugs who I worked with. I just got saved. I was so excited about everything. I'd come into work just fired up about everything. The preacher preached one time on head coverings. I remember it was like the first or second Sunday I was, went to church. And he preached on women and head coverings. I was so fired up, I came in, I was telling all those guys about women having head coverings. I was just, they're like, what? They had a prophecy conference at our church for a whole day. The guy's last name was Estep. I remember that. And man, he had charts and he had pictures up and an overhead projector and, oh man, rapture, the same, I was so stirred up. It was so real. So that whole week, every day I'd come into work, Man, you wouldn't believe what the Bible says. I told them all about the rapture, the Antichrist, the beast, false prophet. Man, I described them to them and all these wars. And I mean, I was just, and the rapture, I'd say at the end of the day, man, that rapture might happen tonight. And they're like, yeah, right, Leatherman. And every day I was just fired up, fired up. That next Monday, I overslept. It was, we, had, we started work at 6. We'd be there about quarter till getting our lockers and change. And we started cutting at 6. Well, I woke up at the house at 6. I lived about three miles, two miles away. I come flying in there. It's about quarter after 6, 6.30. The whole line's up and going. Everybody's there. I'm back. I got changed. I go flying through the door. And you could hear this. And old Jimmy, I forget his last name, big old tall Jim. He's a good friend. I like Jim. I came up beside him. He's just working away. Where you been, Leatherman? I said, man, I overslept. I come he says, uh, man, I'm glad to see you. I said, why? What's going on? He said, we all thought you got that rapture thing. <laughs> so we were left behind. That's a true story. But the thing... The sad thing is, is someday that is going to happen. And it won't be funny. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that you'd help us to recognize you as God and our responsibility to you as your creatures. 
pray you'd help us to understand you, what your plan is for our lives individually and for mankind as a whole. I pray, Father, that you'd help all of us get in line with the Word of God, that we'd live our homes, our work, all of it would be according to Scripture, so that when this thing comes together, we'll be right where we need to be, we'll be doing right what we need to be doing. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, how many Christians here say prayer?